these to the book of Isaiah. Just that last verse. Well, you wrote that verse, didn't you? The last two. And that last verse just speaks about our subject tonight, the reigning king and the ruling princes. The reigning king and the ruling princes. Isaiah 32, please. Verse 1. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as the rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing grace. We thank you for our salvation, so full and free. And we thank you for the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Son of God, he who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you, Father, that you've rescued us, you've washed us, you've cleansed us, you've purged us, you've purified us, you've made us clean. You've forgiven us of our past and our present sins, even when we come to thee. And we thank you, the blood shall never lose its power. So this evening, Lord, on this warm evening, we pray, Lord, that you would now shut us in with thyself. Speak to us severally and individually, even as an assembly. Have thine own way, Lord, and glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we ask it. Amen. In verse 1, we're told, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. You know, some writers tend to think that this is about Hezekiah, the king in the southern kingdom of Judah. But really, Hezekiah is really on the throne at this time, although he was a reformer king. He reformed Judah. He reformed the religion. And he pulled down the idols and the groves, and he reinstated and built up the temple again. And even though he was a reformer to the as it were, through the Old Testament Israelite Hebraic worship. Yet he wasn't perfect in all his ways because none of us are. And he left the odd thing here and there which should have been extinguished from the land and from the nation. Some think it is Ahaz that would come along too. Maybe it's him. They're not sure. But everyone has agreed on this, that this points to This is prophetic of the coming fullness of the kingdom of God when Christ comes again. Behold, a king shall reign 
in righteousness. There's none righteous, no, not one. The scriptures tell us that there's none righteous, no, not one. That's you nor I. There is none righteous, no, not one. But Christ was righteous. Christ was sinless. He did no sin. He knew not sin. And even up till his very death, he was yet without sin. And the only sin that Christ ever had or bore was your sin and my sin. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree when he shed his blood and died for us. The sinless, perfect, spotless, a lamb of God, the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's impeccable son. What is the difference between sinless and impeccable? And it's quite frankly put like this that he was without sin, that he never committed sin. He was sinless. But his impeccability was this, although he was tempted to sin, yet he could never sin because he was God's son, the son of God, a manifest in the very flesh. The king who will reign in righteousness in Isaiah's time may have been alluded to slightly to Hezekiah, the reformer, or Ahaz to come. But really, the prophetic and greater fulfillment of it is the kingdom of God on earth when Christ will come again. Christ is coming, and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And Christ is coming, and he will reign in righteousness. He will reign and righteousness. Will you, if you would, turn with me to the book of Hosea, please, just for a few verses. I remember I've told you before, but in case you don't know or haven't realized or never heard before, Hosea is a magnificent book of God dealing with the northern kingdom known as the house of Israel. Here he tells Gomer, go marry a woman of whoredoms, of the children of whoredom, because the land have committed great whoredoms before me. He wasn't talking about Assyria. He wasn't talking about Babylon. He wasn't talking about Egypt. He was talking about Israelites. He was talking about their sinfulness. He was talking about their idolatry. And hence we have prophets like Hosea sent to them. Up there, the ten northern tribes known as the house of Israel. And so he has sent up, and if you will go to Hosea chapter 3, please. This woman he would marry, Gomer, represented the people of Israel, represented their sinfulness. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. God's saying this woman represents who they are. This woman of ill repute, of whoredoms, is representative of what the people are like before me, who took to other gods and loved flagons of wine. In other words, the nation became a nation who were known for their drinking. 
the drunkards of Ephraim, he calls them in the same book. We haven't time to go through it. The drunkards of Ephraim. We think of, of Britain today. We think of Northern Ireland today. We think of even the Irish Republic today. And anywhere you go, I remember years ago, Alice and I were on holidays. You know those guys that always try and stop you to get you in for a drink or for something to eat? Come in, come in, get it something to eat. All the different, you know, all those different uh, things that they're offering you to get you in. I remember this guy stopped us one day and he's, he wouldn't leave us alone. And I says, he says, where are you from? I said, Northern Ireland. He says, ah. He says, come in for a drink. I says, I don't drink. I don't take alcohol. And he says, ah, I've never met an Irish man yet that doesn't take alcohol. That's what he said. My brothers and sisters, that is a reputation that Ephraim had, that Britain has, that Ireland has, that Northern Ireland has, drunkards of Ephraim in the nation. Can't wait to get out to become their wine bibbers, to become drunk heads and drug addicts. Notice the Lord says, who took to other gods, that's our nation all over, and loved flagons of wine, not just even a glass, but flagons of it, couldn't get enough of it. Brothers and sisters, see when I got saved, I got saved from my sin. I didn't get saved to stay in my sin. When I got saved, the Lord saved me from worldliness and he saved me from drunkenness and he saved me from being a druggie. And when Christ saved me, Christ delivered me. When Christ saved me, Christ washed me in the blood. And when Christ washed me in the blood, Christ forgave me of all my sin. And when Christ forgave me of my sin, there he placed his spirit in me. And what for? To keep me in the way everlasting. To keep me walking the narrow path. To keep me going on with God. Here we find the drunkards of Ephraim, Britain, of Ireland has not changed to this very day. We love other gods, gods of sports, gods of film, gods of music, gods of everything else in the place of the one true and living God. Notice their heart here. God says you are like a woman of ill repute. Now, Hosea, marry her. Marry her. Because that's what Israel are like, married unto me. Hosea representing the Lord, Yahweh. In other words, Hosea, his name really means salvation. That's why you get Yahushua or Yahshua, all comes from the name, intermingled with the name Hosea. God says, here is their salvation here is their redemption. Here is their deliverance. But yet my people would love to have this soul rather than me. Now take note of this, brothers and sisters. Verse 2. So I bought her to me. Notice, I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley 
and a half homer of barley. In other words, you know what a homer was? A homer of barley and a half homer. One and a half homers of barley. The word homer actually comes from a Hebrew word that means an ass. Whatever an ass as in a donkey could carry was a homer of wheat. So one and a half donkey laden loads of wheat and 15 pieces of silver, which today would probably be 150 pounds. She wasn't worth much. And in our sinful state before a holy God, when he looks at us, we're not worth much. Yet, he gave heaven's best for us. Yet he's seen you in your sin. Yet he's seen me in my sin. Yet he looked and he beheld all of our wickedness and the total depravity of our nature, the complete and full inability to be able to save ourselves or to redeem ourselves or to help ourselves. And he gave his son. He gave heaven's best because your soul is worth more than this world can afford. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain? What is it? Shout it out. The whole world. And lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, there's nothing this world, this whole world. Listen, you might own Pfizer. By the way, they're making trillions. Just throwing that out there. Moderna, you might own all of those, making the trillions out of the people who are now getting into slavery of a different kind. And you might have it all being wreaked in. And on that day, you offer it up for your soul. Here, God, I'll pay my way. Do not know that I am worth trillions? I cannot buy the soul of a man nor of a woman. Your soul is more precious than this world can afford. Verse 3, and I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days, and thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. Here we have Hosea saying to Gomer, the Lord saying to Israel, You're mine, and I'm yours. Please don't cheat on me. You won't be for another man and I won't be for another person, another woman. So please don't be unfaithful to me. And this nation that once revered and respected a new God have fallen away far from him. They have brought in the most vilest acts and deeds through government. Abortion of the birth 
abortion home kits. Home kits. Have you ever heard the like of that in your life? A home kit. A DIY do yourself and we will supply you with the ability. Is it any wonder our land is in the state that she's in? Notice he says, you're for me and I am for you. Verse four, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without a teraphim. Verse five, afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. In other words here, you know what he's saying? There's a David coming. Now David's dead here. David has passed away hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And how can they seek David? You see, the David here is David's greater son. And they'll gather around him, the says. And hence in Israel, this kingdom of the north is scattered And only through the blessing of the gospel of saving grace can a man be saved to gather around great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The preaching of the blood and the book, the preaching of the unsearchable riches of Christ, the preaching of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, the preaching that there's no one too far that he cannot reach, and there's no one too sinful that he cannot forgive, the preaching that there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And they gather around David's greater son, And afterwards shall the children of Israel return and shall seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness. Notice, and it's in the latter days. Here we are. From the apostles' days was the last days. Now, if what was the last days, when's the the last of the last days? Surely we're living in them. Surely we're living in them. Brothers and sisters, look at the world. Friend, look at the world. Look at the state of every nation, our nation. Look at the state of so-called evangelical, biblical, God-fearing little Ulster. Look at it. The vileness against the gospel. The vileness against the Christian. And listen, you know why? Because it's vileness against your Savior against your Savior. So notice this. This is in the latter days. Behold, Isaiah says, a king shall reign in righteousness. I can't help but think as well that the first coming of Christ in Zechariah chapter 9 prophesied again, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Here, Jerusalem, and the section of Judah that were left in his day, here he's coming into Jerusalem, riding on that lovely little colt, the little donkey that we hear the children sing about. And here he's coming in, and they're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save, oh, save. Baruch Bashem Adonai, they're crying. Hosanna, Hosanna. Baruch Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. And within the week's end, they're crying, away with him. We will not have this man to reign over us. Crucify him. Crucify him. Brothers and sisters, this mob that gathered, that's the idea of it, you know. You know, people think when they, they watch the lovely sanitized Hollywood movie, and there's maybe the Lord Jesus played and portrayed by someone. And there the crowd before Pilate, what will I do with him? Crucify him. Crucify him. They're all sure. That's not the way it reads in the original text. You know that? And it actually gives the feeling, the in-depth insight of that there was going to be a riot and Jerusalem would be completely wrecked if he wasn't crucified. In other words, there were so many that day in Jerusalem. They were all shouting. And the old Pharisees were winding them up, weren't they? Crucify him. And they were starting to cause a riot. It's the idea of this. And Christ, the Lamb of God, was crucified for you and for me. Isaiah 32, verse 1. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. Notice, behold, a king. See, the prophet is looking down time. And even as Andrew, our elder, brought a word the other Wednesday, a couple of Wednesdays ago or so, and he brought the word about how the prophets inquired into the things of, of Christ and into our salvation. He could see it, but he couldn't fully grasp it nor understand it. The prophet couldn't fully lay hold on it like you and I can, post-cross, looking back with the word and the spirit. He, he couldn't understand it. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. But you and I won't say, behold, our king. We say, behold, the king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords shall Rule and righteousness. Here's some beholds for you just while we're here. For example, and I'll just go through them quickly for time's sake. First John, John chapter 1, pardon me, and, and verse 29. And we know it, I've said it. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. My brothers and sisters, see these beholds. Again, we melodramatize it to make it sound good. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's not the way it reads. It gives the idea of a sudden unexpectancy. 
It gives the idea to draw the attention. It gives the idea that it latches on to someone to draw them into it. It gives the idea of an emergency. Behold the Lamb of God! That's the way it reads. Which taketh away the sin of the world. Christ coming down the banks of Jordan. And John the Baptist says, Behold him! Don't you miss him! Don't miss him! That's him there! That's the way it reads. Now looky here. Fix your eyes on Christ. To fix your eyes on the wondrous, majestic beauty of the glorious Son of God. John chapter 19 and verse 5. We have the Lord Jesus being brought with Pilate, as we said before the crowd. And listen, behold the man. They've beat him. They've mocked him. They've bruised him. They've battered him. He's been arrested. You think in the the garden of Gethsemane, it says, now walk this way, please. We have to watch because we've got our body cams on and we're going to tell you what's happening down here as we go along. See, I'm not touching him. It'll go all over YouTube, you see. Why do you think Peter pulled out a sword? Why do you think Peter took it and lopped off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant, whom Christ fixed it back onto the side of his head again. Why do you think Peter did these things? Because they came as a mob. They came as a baying crowd to arrest the Son of God and to take him, to destroy him. And hence, he was beaten the whole way down the road. He's brought in. And before Pilate, He comes out, and Christ is a bloody mess. He's a bloody mass. He's bleeding from his head and from his face. His beard is being very pulled out of his face. Pilate brings him to the crowd, and don't go, behold the man. This is the way it would read. He brings him, he goes, behold the man. In other words, he's saying, look at him. Look at him. Has he not had enough? And that mob cried, away with him and crucify him. John 19 and verse 14, he does it again. Behold your king then. Here's your king. We have no king but Caesar, they cried. In James chapter 5, and in verse 19, it says, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. James is trying to arouse the heart, to quicken the heart, that the spirit would lay hold on someone. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Saved. 
He even says to the church, the Lord Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock. The Laodicean church, the last church age of which we're living in, he's saying to many churches, you threw me out. You threw me out. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You've closed your doors last year and you didn't even open again. That's true. You've brought in regulation rather than redemption. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. And the idea is, we're not just going to have a little cup of here. We will sit and talk and we will fellowship. We will face together. But Christ is saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. C-E-T, will you let me in? Lord, you're welcome here every time. Every time, Lord. Every meeting, Lord. You see, without him, without him, do you know what our meeting becomes? A social club. And we'll put on nice little strawberry teas for you. And we'll bring you in and you know, we'll, we'll have a nice little song and we'll, we'll maybe even tell you a nice little fluffy, powdery story that will pump up your tires and make you feel wonderful on the way home. But what happens when you get a puncher? No. He will have the preeminence. This is his church. The judge standeth before the door. Matthew 25 is a chapter of the virgins five were wise and five were foolish. We know it, don't we? The five were foolish, had no oil in their vessels and in their lamps and they went to get oil to buy oil and it says and at midnight a cry was made behold the bridegroom cometh nice story is it behold the bridegroom cometh go ye out to meet him the cry was this shock and horror amazement and astonishment Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Now if you're ready, go out to meet him. I wonder how many would still be away buying oil that none of their vessels to feed their lamps and their lamp has went out. Do you know what happens when your lamp goes out? left in the dark you're left in the dark Jude it's only one little chapter but verse 14 it says behold the Lord cometh listen do you think when the Lord comes you see all these nice movies you know, everybody's I don't know like some magician piff poof and the vault disappeared 
Come on. People are getting their theology from movies now. Think of the noise. The trumpet of the Lord. The voice of the archangel filling the skies. You probably won't be able to hear yourself talk. Be too late. Your mind, your hearing, your ears. The trumpet. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sing. And I love that wee song too. That's not the way it's going to be. There's going to be such an almighty blast that the heavens will roll back like a scroll and the myriads and myriads of angels will be from one end of the heaven to the other. And Christ, the glorious Christ, the wonderful Christ, the blessed Christ, the almighty Christ will be in the center on as it were his charger coming to collect as redeemed. And the graves are going to open. The dead in Christ shall arise first. Hallelujah. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. And you're not going to have your aches and pains. You're not going to have your sore heads and aching hearts. There's not going to be any more cancer. Not through the redeemed body. Not through the body of the blood-washed saint. There's not going to be any more tuberculosis and there's not going to be any more of the illnesses we're hearing coming back into our land. Listen, there'll be no COVID. Imagine that. They'll probably still say there's a new strain. (laughs) Maybe we should sing that song what we're singing earlier. There'll be no COVID there. No more burdens to bear. No more vaccines and no more masks. <laughs> I'll tell you this. You're going to see it. You're going to hear it. And see if you're saved, you're going to feel it. You know why? Because I'm going to get a new body. So will you. Behold, behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Can't even picture that to you, can't I? But he's coming. Quickly, Revelation 5 and 5. John is given a vision of heaven. Oh, there's wailing because no one was found worthy, not even a mighty angel, to loose the seals and open a scroll. None found worthy. John starts to weep. One of the elders said unto him, Weep not, 
Behold, imagine a through heaven, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. You know what, buddy? John, look, lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's being proclaimed by this angel, uh, this elder, all over heaven. And he's shouting it, and it's going through heaven. And John, caught up in the spirit, he's looking, where is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David? That's Jesus. Where is he? And he's looking for a lion, and he turns, and he sees a throne with a lamb in it. Not a lion, a lamb. You know why? Do you know why? First, you see, Jesus to heaven, he's always the lion. He's always the champion. He's always the best. But you and I, when I see him, oh, he'll be the lion, he'll be my king. I'll see him as my savior, the lamb of God who bore away my sin, who died for me, who shed his precious blood for me, and who redeemed me, cried, it is finished and paid my debt in foot. And that lamb, by the way, was a lamb that had been slain. Notice, had been slain. It had marks on it. How did he know it had been slain if there was no marks? It had marks on it that it was slain with. But listen, it wasn't a dead lamb on a throne. It was alive with the marks in it. It was alive standing on the throne. Jesus is alive. He's alive. When he comes again in Revelation 21, verse 3, the cry is, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. See, in the Old Testament, so Israel or man tried building a tabernacle for God to dwell in. In the Gospels, the Lord Jesus came and he tabernacled as a man. And then, after the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Lord came and made a tabernacle out of us. So man made God a tabernacle for him to dwell in. In the Gospels, Jesus came and tabernacled as a man. And when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, now God makes man his tabernacle. And in Revelation, when Christ comes, with him in the center, God becomes our tabernacle. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. So Isaiah says, Behold a king. I can't really fully see him. I can't really work out who he is. But holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know the word moved? It gives the idea 
to barrel along as if a boat goes down a river, to bear them along. And the Holy Ghost bore the prophets along, showing them the things of the glories of Christ, the unsearchable riches of the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, Isaiah saw it. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment. Let me finish this in two, well, five minutes. My wife's laughing at me because I said five minutes. I heard that. See, the princes shall rule in judgment. Who are they? It's the overcoming body of the saints of God. For example, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 and verse 3, listen to what Paul says, and I'm just editing a little here for time's sake. 1 Corinthians 6 and 2, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? In verse 3, he says, know ye not that we shall judge angels? Imagine that. Princes shall rule in judgment. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2 and 12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him, but if we deny him, he will also deny us. And Revelation 5 and 9 tells us we shall reign on the earth with him. So in verse 2, briefly, a man shall be as in hiding place. The word hiding place is the word makaveh. That means a man shall be as a bosom. A bosom. It also means a man shall be as a lurking place. And you find that in First Samuel 23, and the verse 23, Saul is looking to slay David. David goes into hiding. Saul sends out the men to find him. This is what it says. He says, See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hideth himself. See David hiding. Soldiers were coming around. David's looking out. They can't see as their way past us. 20,000 troops. 20. Troops. David's lurking. He can't find us. And that's what it means a man be one and we'll hide in his bosom. Who's the man whose bosom are we hiding in? Christ. Know what the Lord Jesus said in John 1 and 18? No man has seen God at any time. Only the, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. Christ came out from the bosom of the Father. He's one with the Father, and he came from the Father. Secondly, moving quickly, verse 2. Man shall be as in hiding place and a covert from the tempest. The word covered is a safe there. And it's the same as he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High 
shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place is the same covered, the safe there. He that dwelleth in the safe air of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This gives the idea of a covering and a shelter that when the enemy comes, the tempest comes. Listen, there's going to be a tempest. Don't you think this is over? Things might get a lull for a while. We'll start feeling things again. But do you see when the government's got their foot on our neck, they're going to not want to let it go. called communism, Marxism. There's going to come a time when we are going to need a covering and a lurking place. And in the darkest of moments, I know where I'll be. I'm hiding in thee. I'm hiding in thee. Thy blessed rock of ages. I'm hiding in thee. We tend to miss this little verse. Just let me find Isaiah 32. A man shall be as in hiding place from the wind and covered from the tempest as rivers of water in a dry place. We tend to miss that. He'll be as rivers of water. You know what it means? That means those of us who are thirsty, he will give us the Spirit. Spirit of Listen, the Spirit of God isn't I'm going to put this without trying to sound offensive. The Holy Ghost doesn't make you clap your hands and shout and cheer. That's not what the Holy Ghost does. Now, that might be the joy of the Lord. You do that, and I'm fine with that. I'm not against that. The Holy Ghost doesn't make you roll around the floor and wiggle like a snake, quack like a duck, and that's what you do when you do the hucklebuck. Not the way we song went. Not the Holy Ghost. Do you know what the Holy Ghost does? The Holy Ghost shows you Christ. Teaches you Christ. Enamors you with Christ. Tell you what the Holy Ghost does. It puts a lining in you. A lining in you. That when all of this comes, you're one with Christ. You're one with him. Now, I'm a Pentecostal. Don't you get me wrong. And I believe in the full gifts of the Spirit. We move, we operate, we believe in it through faith and practice. So please don't get me wrong here. But there's too much hullabaloo nonsense out there. I want no part of it. And he's a shadow of a great rock and a weary land. You know what that means? It gives the idea to shade over, but it can be for good or bad. Do you ever get you've got one of those days and there's a dark cloud hanging over you? You just can't shake it. You get one of those days when there's that looming, sometimes even people are aware of a, a sense of an evil spirit hanging over you. You know, it's just wrong. And it's hovering, as it were. It's looming over you. See, that's for the bad, to pull you down, to make you worse, to make you dejected and depressed. That's not what the shadow of a great rock does. 
See when you can't stick the heat. See when you're weary and thirsty and dry. See when you can't cope and can't go on no more, but you're hiding in him. Do you see when you're like that? He is this lovely shadow of refreshment hanging over, hovering over his redeemed. Behold a king. A king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Kinder Grace, would you come up?